Loved, cherished, comforted. Welcome to the podcast ministry of Our Resolute Hope, where you will find grace, not just a concept or a doctrine of grace, but a person, a person whose name is Jesus, a person who brings hope, a determined, resolute hope that can sustain you and empower you to live courageously in this fallen world. Join us now as we learn more about Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, and our life. Dear friends, thanks again for joining us on this edition of the Our Resolute Hope podcast. My name is John Russon. I serve as the host. And the last I checked on the other end of this line in Louisiana is Pastor Frank Friedman. How are you doing, my friend? Well, as I get older, I keep forgetting a lot of things, but I've yet to forget my name or your name. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's good. Did I forget my name? Uh, Well, friends, if you have joined us for the first time, Frank and I are just chatting our way through St. Paul's epistle to the Colossians, arguably the most preeminent place for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we finished last time, Frank, if you recall, we finished our chat in chapter 2, verse 13. And let me pick up with a little bit of a brief summary, and then we're going to pick up at the end of verse 13. And verse 13 reads, and you who were dead past tense, in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God has made alive, past tense, together with him, having forgiven, past tense, us all of our trespasses. So Frank, we've talked about being dead. We've talked about the uncircumcision of our flesh last time. We talked about him making us alive, but we didn't get to that last part, having forgiven us, past tense, all of our sins. Now, before I turn you loose on this, my mm-hmm. friend, because I know you've got a lot to say, there is a, there's a pair of things that just jump out at me, and I want to start our conversation there. These things are not separate transactions. You know, sometimes people say, well, uh, I've forgiven all my old sins, but I still have to confess my new sins. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's almost like They're teaching two separate works of grace, two separate activities that Father has for us, two separate transactions. Frank, I don't see that at Mm. all. This is all bundled together. Our crucifixion, our burial, our resurrection, our baptism, our identification, our being made alive is all bundled lock, stock, and barrel with having had all of our uh, sins forgiven. So let's just jump in right there. Let's talk about forgiving all of our sins. What's that mean? Does that really mean all, Frank? Uh, John, that's a great question for which, of course, we need to go to the Greek language. And the Greek word there says all. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I knew that. I set you up, bro. Uh, You did. (laughs) All means all in the Greek. (laughs) And so... If we have all of our sins forgiven, that means uh, last year's sins, yesterday's sins, uh, and tomorrow's sins. How can he possibly forgive something we haven't committed yet? Unpack that for us. Oh, my goodness. Well, you know, I think it all goes back to the Old Testament and the picture uh, through the tabernacle. In fact, uh, when we get to the book of Revelation, we're going to see that the key to the book of Revelation is chapter four and five, where um, John got to see what heaven is like. 
and lo and behold, it portrays the tabernacle. So the tabernacle was an earthly picture of the heavenly realm. Uh, there is a sea of glass, just like there was a veil. Nobody could get to God. Uh, but the high priest, once a year, Yom Kippur, on one day, went in with blood behind the veil. And of course, he had to do that every year, but one day out of the year. And that was all picturing the heavenly realm, where there was a sea of glass that separated us. And that's the holiness of God from all other beings. But we have a high priest who went behind the veil, behind the sea of glass, sat down with his own blood once and for all, he being not only high priest, but also the sacrifice. And since he was God, man, he offered the sacrifice that man needed to offer. But because he was God, he offered the sacrifice of God himself. So in first Peter, we're told that he has an immeasurable value to his blood. It covers everything. So that Colossians can say he's forgiven us all our sins through the book of Hebrews he says, one sacrifice for sin. It's over. And I love, I know you love the book of Hebrews, John. You taught through it for years. My favorite part of that verse is probably, book is probably Hebrews 10, where he says, he has perfected forever. Forever. Those who are being perfected. And so we're forever perfected. And now we're learning on this planet to walk in the perfection that is ours, to walk in forgiveness, to walk in the joy of our salvation so that others could look at us and go, why are you so joyful? <laughs> and we can then say, my sin has been so totally, totally taken from me that God himself could live inside of me. That's how righteous I have been made. Yeah. And boy, it's just mind boggling. I tell you, man, it sends chills up and down my spine when you when you see all this. And it's hard to take this little verse, this phrase out of context. And the entire package here in Colossians 2 is basically uh, our resume, everything that Jesus has done in us and for us. And we cannot separate our baptism, our crucifixion, our resurrection, with uh, we can't separate it from the forgiveness of sins. The moment he crucified us, the moment we said yes to Jesus, he gave us his very same life. And as you said, his life, he can't tolerate sin. Habakkuk tells us that. Mm -hmm. And so he, he took it all away. Could you imagine, mm -hmm. Frank, what would we be like if he would have crucified us, resurrected us, but then left our sin for us to remember to confess whenever we get around to it. Mm. What a nightmare. But Frank, that's what a lot of confused believers still wrap their minds around, isn't it? Oh, John, you know, if I wanted to be harsh, which I don't want to be, I would tell them, why are you blaspheming my savior? To think that you have to add your confession in order to get forgiven that you are saying his work was not sufficient. You have to add to it. But because I don't want to be harsh, I would say to them, why are you walking in unbelief? 
To ask for forgiveness is actually unbelief in what Jesus said and what the Holy Spirit says. Jesus said it's finished. It's over. He didn't say it's finished. Now you got to take it from here. <laughs> he said it's finished. Right. And the Holy Spirit said all your sins. All but that. That's not my future ones. Uh, it's unbelief, John. And, you know, but, but I have people and you have people and you know this. They throw out those verses. Oh, yeah. You know, like the one in Matthew 6. If you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. And John, of course, that verse gives us an opportunity to say to these dear people and to all of our listeners, the key to understanding the Bible is to understand that God works in covenants. There are things that were true in the old covenant that are no longer true in the new, like forgiving other people. In the old book, it's forgiving, you don't get forgiven. But in the new book, it's Ephesians 4.30. Go forgive because you've been forgiven. And the key is the cross. People say, but Jesus didn't, Jesus spoke those words. Yes, he did before he died. And so that was an old covenant statement from Jesus showing people, do you really want to live under the law? Because this is pretty, pretty brutal. <laughs> yeah, it, it's not going to work out well for you. No. That's right. Well, Frank, you and, and I have both heard 1 John 1, 9. Oh, that's um, another one. Oh, gosh, mm -hmm. that's another one. You know, the Matthew verse and the 1 John 1, 9 verse. And, uh, you know, there's so many people, my friend. Let's take a moment here if we can. There's so many people who struggle with this. Mm. who are concerned about, did I confess my sins? Father, which sins did I commit today? Would you show me as if the Holy Spirit isn't already inciting them, nudging them when they sin, uh, as mm. he promised he would be? So Frank, unpack what Father's really saying in 1 John 1, 9 for our listeners, because I think some of them need to hear it. Absolutely, John. The danger these people are succumbing to is they're violating the number one rule of interpreting the Bible, which is always context. Don't ever take a verse out of its context or you're going to have a pretext. And what we mean by that is you can pretty much make the Bible say anything you want it to say if you take a verse out of its context. But when you interpret a verse in light of the verses around it and in light of what the rest of the book has to say, and then even to the rest of what the Bible has to say, you'll avoid that problem of slipping into a pretext. And so instead of just taking for someone nine, boy, if we forgive, he's faithful to forgive us, put it in his context. Let's go all the way back to verse six. If we say we have fellowship with him, but walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from our sin. Well, the implication of verse 7 is that if you do not walk in the light, the blood of Jesus hasn't cleansed you from your sin. So what we're dealing with here is believers and unbelievers sitting in the same church. Yes. And we know that happens because Jesus himself said there's a wide road with a lot of people saying, Lord, Lord, look at all that we did. We did many works for you. And what does Jesus say? I never knew you. He doesn't say, I knew you and I forgot you. <laughs> uh, he says, I never knew you. So they weren't believers. So right on into verse eight, if we say we have no sin, well, no believer would ever say that. Again, we've gone back to the unbeliever. We're deceiving ourselves. The truth is not in us. But if we would simply confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us. 
And then verse 10, if we say we've not sinned, we're making him a liar, unbeliever, and his word is not in us, unbeliever. Put it in its context. What has a believer done? He has confessed his sin, and so he's been cleansed. It's a once and for all deal. It's a verse put in context to clarify the difference between a believer and an unbeliever. And that's all it's saying. It's yeah. not a command for us to go do something. Yeah, that's right. Or so it's a revelation of what has been done when we confessed our sin and asked God to forgive us. And guess what? He did it. <laughs> Just know, as he promised he would. You know, it's interesting. You went back to to uh first John 1 6. When I talk to people, I go back even further to first John 1 3. Mm. And, and I just read them this verse, and I've got this in my current new favorite version, the English Standard Version. It says, that which we, underline, have seen and heard, we, underline, proclaim to you. So there's a we and a you right out of the mm. box in 1 John 1. Why are we proclaiming what we've seen and heard? So that you, too, may have fellowship with us. Mm. So the whole context from the very beginning is he's talking to a group of people who don't know the Savior. Mm. And he's saying, look, this is what we've seen. This is what we've heard. Why don't you join us? Because our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. You too can be a part of this. And so when you look at it with those preliminary verses, then 1 John 1, 9 fits perfectly into the mm. context, doesn't it? Yeah, John, you know, look at that phrase, you might have fellowship. Well, what's yeah. the implication? You don't. Yeah. <laughs> so like you say, it's an invitation. It's a gospel invitation yeah. is really what it is. It's an altar call. <laughs> it is. And, and it doesn't so focus clear. on sin. It says, no. hey, let's, let me invite you into the fellowship that we share. You know, mm. are you lonely? Are things not working out the way you want? Did people let you down? Are you disappointed with others, with yourself? Do you feel like you want to quit and run? Well, mm. guess what? There is a fellowship available to you that is a balm for all of those hurts. Mm. And that fellowship is with the Father and his son, Jesus Christ. Hey, guess what? You can join us in that fellowship right now. Wow. That's, That's it, man. Whoa. Isn't that beautiful? It certainly is. We have to realize, like I, we come back to that phrase earlier, John, we know this because of the covenants. There was an old, there is a new. And again, if you don't understand that God works in covenants, then you're going to apply things to Christianity that don't apply to Christianity. They were true in the old covenant, but they're no longer true. My, our friend Steve Pettit puts it this way. There's a lot of things in the Bible that aren't Christian sacrificing sheep is in the Bible, but it's not Christian. Tithing is in the Bible, but it's not Christian. You know, modern churches still float that <laughs> word out there. I know. Oh what you my mean. goodness. Yeah. yeah. There's a, a tabernacle, a temple and an altar that's biblical. It's not Christian. So we have to understand that there was an old Testament that is no longer authoritative. There is a new and it is in place. We don't ask for what we already have now in Christ. Amen. Well, let's zoom ahead here. One verse, sure. my friend. And we need to do a little bit of a mechanistic dive here into exactly how he forgave our sins. And it's neat that Brother Paul goes through this because we answered the question how, and he says this. 
He canceled the record of debt. King James says he blotted out the handwriting of ordinances that stood against us with all of its legal demands. And he set it aside, nailing it to the cross. Mm. Now, the first thing I noticed about this, Frank, is that he canceled our debt. He didn't just erase it as if it never had been. Literally, the word is he blotted it out. It was there and he removed it. And he didn't just overlook it or excuse it. He didn't pat us on the head and say, oh, bless his heart. He tried so hard. He Mm. didn't just pretend it never happened. So why couldn't God do that, Frank? We'll get to exactly what Jesus did in a minute. But why couldn't God kick all of our sins to the curb and say, okay, we're going to start all over again? He canceled our debt. Literally, he blotted it out. He didn't just overlook it. Why couldn't he just overlook it and say, that's okay. You know, we'll just start over again. Why couldn't he overlook it or pretend our sin never happened? Mm, That's a good word, John. Well, you know, in the Old Testament, there was a term and it was called atonement. And the Hebrew word there is kofair. And what it literally means is to cover. We, you cover the sin so you can't see the sin. It would be like a woman having guests coming to quickly sweep everything under the rug. Right. It's still there. It's just under the rug. And that would have hindered us from ever having God live inside of us. When you read the Old Testament, we see God coming upon people, but we don't find God living in people. We see, for example, that in Isaiah 40, that great, great portion of scripture, that young men stumble and fall, but those who wait on the Lord. Well, he didn't say abide. That would means to dwell, to live in. He said braid. That was the Hebrew word. Well, to braid is to intertwine. So the Old Testament terms were he covers our sin so that he can come upon us and empower us for ministry as he braids himself with us. But we can't be the temple of God because the temple itself had to be holy in order for the Holy One to live inside of us. And so we've got that verse like in Habakkuk 1 that God can't, and this has been misquoted so many times, God can't tolerate sin. Well, he does tolerate sin. He lets Satan into his presence, for goodness sake. It's that he can't approve it. He cannot permanently abide in it. That's a much better translation. So for us to become the temple of God, the body of Christ, the living letters to the world, his true ambassadors, he had to take away our sin to make us sinless so that he, the sinless one, could live inside of us. And John, this is where, again, the Greek language is so mind-boggling. When we see those passages that say we become the temple of God, uh, the temple's a pretty big place. Wall, outer court, inner court, all that stuff. No, 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 no. The word he used was holy of holies. Holy of holies. The place within the temple where God's presence dwelt among his people. John, we're not just the temple. We're the Holy of Holies. Holies. And so that couldn't happen unless our sin was taken away. When you listen to your talk, 
My mind drifts to the book that we're just completing now. Our listeners will see this soon. It's our commentary uh, on the book of Galatians. And Galatians 3 says this, and it's kind of burned into my mind because I've been looking at it for so long. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. Frank, as you know, we were in an absolutely impossible situation because of Adam, our forefather, exchanged living from God for living under law. We became under a curse from which we couldn't escape. And so because we had broken his law, we were cursed with the promise of death. And in order for him to take away and kick all our sins to the curb, he'd have to remove the law, which Jesus said he couldn't do. Matthew mm. 5, you know, it's here. Not one bit of it's going to change until everything is complete. So, brother, we were stuck. So mm. this is the cool part, at least in my mind. Jesus stepped into our nightmare and he became a curse for us. Mm. And this phrase for us translated is over us. And when I think about that, it means in our place, hovering over us like a mother bird protecting her chicks with her body. Does that sound like Matthew 23 mm. or what? Mm. And so Christ just came between us and the curse. He didn't kick us aside. We were right there in the path, but he spread his arms and he took the full brunt of that curse for us, mm. letting it fall on him. So the law is satisfied death was delivered he took it in our place and so because of that miraculous thing he could say hey i'm canceling the debt against it there's mm. no more handwriting of ordinances against john and against frank and against any who claim me as lord and savior this is what he did frank he just stood in the path and took the curse for us and uh, we got off I like to say Scott free, but not really because we were crucified and we had to be resurrected, raised again and identified with Jesus and given a new spirit because our old spirit was crucified. And now we're able to walk in newness of life in a way we never can before. Because Frank, if that didn't happen, then if you simply cancel the debt that was against me, I'd say, hey, hallelujah, my slate is free. I'll just keep right on doing what I did before. Mm. But that's not what his heart in us leads us to do. His heart mm. in us leads us to love. So, Frank, he changed everything, my friend, when he stood over us mm. and took that curse for us, didn't he? Changed our relationship to our past, to the people around us, to our jobs, to our families, to ourselves. The guy is dead and gone. <laughs> yeah. and everything he did is gone and all that's left is brand new perfect righteous 10 on a scale of 10 masterpiece trophies of grace amen it's uh it's mind-boggling john can i say a few yeah go ahead i know i here? rattle i rattle off no. for a while but go on oh, you, well you you stirred my brain i just throw out several things i'm so excited about what you said there are a lot of people that mistakenly think he canceled out the law. And you brought that out so masterfully. The law is holy, perfectly good. And he cannot ever wipe out the law. It's, it's his word. And it goes on forever. So beautiful. Because a lot of people are mistaken there. I heard 
that when the old covenant economy, when a person had a debt, and I can't verify this, but I heard that, you know, there would be written contracts and there's the debt, and you owe the debt. And what would happen is because those were public documents, what I heard was that when a person paid off their debt, the contract would be written, had been written out, was nailed to the person's home and the Greek word tetelestai was written and then folded over. So the debt was paid in full. So a neat way to look at ours is that maybe the debt was paid in full. But John, I want to come back to this idea of curse. I don't know that our listeners, and I say this because I don't even know that I myself and you as well, really laid hold of this until we started writing our commentary on Galatians. If you ask most believers who Jesus is, they will say, he's my Lord, he's my savior, he's my king, he's my prince, he's my brother, he's my high priest, he's my sacrifice. It could go on and on and on. John, I don't know that there would be more than on one hand, well, maybe two, we could count, where somebody off the top of their head would say, he's my curse. To say, and I'm getting choked up and I'm sorry, but to say that the living God of the universe became a curse for me, for you, it is almost so radical that it's hard for the words to leave our lips, let alone be in our mind as something we should have at the forefront of our mind, John. Maybe you would respond to that. You know, Frank, when you say those words, I'm sitting here and I'm, I'm just stunned. I don't even know how to respond. I don't know how to think, honestly. We spent so much time in Colossians 1 talking about how he holds everything together. He made the whole universe, those billions and billions and billions and billions and billions of galaxies. So how can someone who has that much power suddenly become a wretched curse? Our father is just so incredibly powerful. We have no idea how much power he has. He could start and stop anything he wants to, Frank, but he willingly became a curse. Frank, he took the wrath of the creator God against all sin and all mankind throughout all time. And he took that wrath, that curse on himself. I don't even know how to understand that. Hmm. It blows me away that he would love me so much that were I alone the only sinner, he would have done it just for me, Frank, mm. and just, just for you. And it does two things for me. Not only does it stun me with just how magnificent he is, but it makes me realize just how awful my sinful behavior, my acts mm. of sin are in his eyes. You know, we don't tend to think our acts of sin are very bad. We have some of our favorites that we do all the time and we're kind of used to them and we think God is used to them too, but he's not. And they're awful. And uh, our savior died to pay for even the least of our sins. And Frank, I don't even begin to understand that, but he did it. And I'm so glad he did. And I think if 
everyone in the modern church understood exactly what Jesus did for them and then how he has equipped them with his life, things would change dramatically in the way the church interfaces with a lost and desperate world, wouldn't you think? Oh, John, and with each other and with their own view of themselves. You know, as I was listening to you, this is going to sound hokey, but this is the way spirit speaks to my brain. I need hokey, I guess. But I was listening to you. It's a yo-yo. When you have a yo-yo, it descends to the bottom. That's what we should recognize, how bad the sin was that the God of the universe had to become a curse. But then having become the curse and canceled out our debt, taken everything away, yank on the hand, and that yo-yo comes back to the highest pinnacle it can. And that's where we want to stay. But never forgetting the curse that he became. And boy, the worship that that draws out of you, the joy that he doesn't even think of you as ever having sinned, which then stuns us into worship and praise. Right. And yeah. uh, it, it's, it's, it's staggering. Frank, when it's I look at staggering. this, you know, wanting to sin is about the last thing on my mind. When, you know, when you come face to face with what Jesus did. And so uh, one of the things I really appreciate is over the years, this has been a focus of the ministry of Grace Life Fellowship over the years as we ministered together. And mm. now it's the focus of our resolute hope that they would understand and see Jesus as who he really is, what he's really done and who they are because of him. And this last point really wraps it all up, Frank. And you mentioned this earlier. The record of debts he set aside and he nailed it to the cross. And I'm not a Greek scholar like you are, but I mm. looked up that phrase and guess what that phrase, nailing it to the cross means? It means literally nailing it to a literal cross. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. And so you said it earlier to tell us that it is finished. The debt was pounded into the doorframe. It's, it's over. Done. It's over. Wow. Okay, wow. my friend, wrap us up today. Well, first of all, we have to believe that's true, no matter how fantastic it sounds, because God said it, it's true. But there's an enemy. And I love what our friend Juan Carlos Ortiz said, John. He said, God tore up every copy, every record of every sin we've ever committed. But before he tore it up, the enemy made Xerox copies. Yes. And that's where our battle is now. He holds those Xerox copies up against us and tries to get us to focus on the things we did instead of what Jesus Christ has done. And then we slip into the false identity of I'm such a wretch. I'm so stupid. I'm such a failure. John, I'll never forget this woman that came in my office and she had just committed adultery. I mean, just completed the act driving home goes, oh, my goodness, what have I done? Calls me. I have her come over and boy, out it came. I'm such a wretch. I'm so stupid. I'm such an idiot. And I looked at her and I said, how long have you had this pride problem? 
And she said, pride, how could you say that when I've just told you I'm so stupid and such an idiot and such a failure? And I said, dear lady, you're so busy looking at what you have done. And it's serious what you've done. I mean, we're not going to take it lightly. But you're so busy looking at what you have done that you don't see what Jesus has done. And she said, oh, my God, I'm so prideful. (laughs) (laughs) Cha-ching, that's right. Oh, Um, wow. You know, we are so good at deceiving ourselves. And Frank, your your last comment is a perfect segue into our next episode because all this picks up with how Jesus then disarmed the rulers and the authorities. So all this not only focuses on our identity, Frank, but we'll find out next time that it actually is ammunition for us in our spiritual warfare. Wow. Mm. Cool stuff. So thank you, my friend, for a tremendous conversation today. And friends, we are blessed that you've joined us on this episode of the Our Resolute Hope podcast. Frank and I have been chatting our way through the book of Colossians. And we ask if Father has ministered to you today in any way, we covet your prayers and truly do. Uh, We're a fledgling enterprise and we're really sort of struggling along here trying to find our way. Please pray for us. We need Father's directed hand in our lives. Please visit our website. You'll find us at ourresolutehope.com. You'll find a bunch of devotionals, articles, ebooks there, newsletters, etc., all centered on the incredible truth of Jesus Christ as our Lord, our Savior, and most importantly, our very life. We'd love to hear from you, answer some questions. So pop us an email, sign up for a newsletter. You'll see all of that on our website. And once again, don't forget to follow us on our different social media platforms. You'll find us on Facebook, on Instagram. We've got a YouTube channel as well. And of course, wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And we also ask you humbly to prayerfully consider financially supporting our Resolute Hope. And we'll trust that and you into Father's hands. And as always, we close with this reminder from Hebrews chapter 6, that we have this hope as an anchor for our souls. Peter calls it a living hope in his first epistle. Frank and I call it a resolute hope, a bedrock, steadfast, stable hope. And that hope is not a rock. That hope is Jesus. So today and always, choose hope and choose Jesus. Thanks for listening. We trust that you've seen Jesus today. And you know that no matter what you're facing, he offers you himself, his own life. He wants to live his life with you in you and through you as you trust him and walk by faith in this troubled world. You've been listening to Our Resolute Hope podcast. For more information, find us online at OurResoluteHope.com and check out our social media channels under the name Our Resolute Hope.